This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The game is over. And we are headed to overtime on 95.7 The Game. Let's count it. Picked up. Purdy sets. Launch. Has Samuel wide open. He's got it. Touchdown. The game has just gone final. The 49ers knock off the Seattle Seahawks once again, this time at home. Final score, 28-16. The 49ers improve to 10-3, and and they are just a little bit of help away from officially clinching a playoff spot here in week number 14. A 28-16 win today over the Seattle Seahawks. The Niners have now beaten Seattle uh, five consecutive times, including two in their last three games this season. The 49ers beat Seattle by 12. Welcome into overtime here on 95-7 The Game. Mark Randy and Sterling Bennett with you as always. Sterling, a 12-point Niners win. They didn't quite cover the point spread, which got up to, what, 16 points this morning, I think, when Drew Locke was announced as the starting quarterback. Geno Smith out with a groin injury, but a 12-point win. The biggest thing is get a win. You keep pace at the very worst with the Eagles at the top of the NFC. But a win's a win, Sterling, and the 49ers have now won, what, five consecutive games in a row once again, just like they did to begin the season. We knew coming into this game that Seattle was going to fight from the opening kickoff to the end, and literally they did fight at the end of this game. <laughs> there were some punches thrown. But we knew that Seattle, they their playoff hopes were on the line coming into this game. They knew if they had any chance, although slim, to maybe win the NFC West, they had to beat San Francisco and get that tiebreaker. Uh, they knew when they came into today, this was their playoff hopes, this was their playoff seating. But like me and you already knew. San Francisco is a different beast. They're of a different breed. What they do offensively, and despite not having Mooney Ward for the majority of this game, Devon Hargrave got her arms that didn't play the entire game. San Francisco is just the best team in the entire league. You saw them come out a little shaky early. A couple shots on defense didn't go their way, but from the first dare I say, second offensive play. CMC, 72 yards, yeah. gets you in the red zone. San Francisco, while this game was close, one score for a lot of it, 14-10 to 10 for a large chunk, it never felt like this game wasn't at hand or San Francisco wasn't going to win. Yeah, no, I mean, the first play from scrimmage you mentioned was the Christian McCaffrey 72-yard 
touchdown run. You, you felt like for a moment he was going to go all the way for a touchdown, got tackled down to the three. Then Jordan Mason uh, came in and got a touchdown. You mentioned playing without Armstead all day today. You were also without your number two running back, Elijah Mitchell, inactive today in this one. You mentioned some of the injuries that happened throughout the game. We will certainly update you based on what Kyle Shanahan says momentarily about the injuries, specifically to Mooney Ward. Mooney Ward got injured. What was that? Was, that was the first drive of the game for the Seattle Seahawks and did not come in the rest of the game. Now, important to note, he had his jersey and his pads on the entire game. Was not uh, did not come back out of the locker room uh, with street clothes on. He looked like he could have gone back into the game, just never did. Who knows? We'll get an update from Kyle Shanahan there. Dre Greenlaw left the game momentarily. He came back in. That's good news there for the 49ers. We will certainly update you. On some injuries, this felt like a game where the 49ers, if a couple of things go a different way, they could have won by 18, by 20, by 25. Ultimately, it's a 12-point win, and we're at a point of the 49ers season where we're not going to argue over, oh, they didn't win by enough. You just got to <laughs> win. And the Niners have found ways to do that now over the last like six weeks. They've won their last five games. Uh, and, and this was, I think, of all of the Niners' wins this year, Sterling, it was kind of more of a game where you just kind of had to tough it out. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't smooth. It was kind of choppy. It was start and go. Uh, you had the big play early. Really, you just were saved by big plays all all game long. The offense yeah. wasn't really smooth. Uh, you had some negative plays. You were sacked a few times, but when you needed a big play, you got one. Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Ayuk. <laughs> Debo and Ayuk were both over 100 yards receiving. Ayuk now 1,000 yards on the season for the second consecutive year. Um, it wasn't the smoothest game, but the Niners proved uh, when the game gets a little bit uneven, they can still come out on top, and, and they win by 12, and that's really all that matters. Well, if I told you Brock Purdy nearly had 370 yards passing, I don't think anybody it didn't really believe feel that. Like it. <laughs> it felt like it was more of a, this game is 14-10, it's 17-10. Like, the last team to score might actually be the winner of this game. Now, that ends up being San Francisco, and they win 28-16. to to 16. But this game felt much closer than the box score would say. Chris McCaffrey had 145 yards on the <laughs> ground. Didn't feel like that. This felt like an old-school NFC West punch in the mouth, and whoever comes out winning is likely not going to have some teeth. Uh, and you watch this game back, or you, you finish watching it now, and if you're San Francisco, you escaped with the win. Now, you hope your guys are healthy coming out of it. Plenty of injuries to go around, but... Kyle Shanahan said pregame that the win in Philadelphia was so emotional that the players were exhausted. They were they were exhausted emotionally of how were they going to respond playing a team like Seattle who wants to come in here and punch in the mouth. Nothing would have been greater for Seattle than to watch San Francisco beat Philadelphia at, at the link last week, then travel to San Francisco and beat San Francisco. It, it would almost be like a statement game for Seattle, like, hey, yeah. we're still here. Don't forget about us. And San Francisco said, there's a reason why you're now tied for second place in the NFC West, and now you're under 500. They've lost four straight games? Four straight games for the first time in Pete Carroll's entire tenure. Yeah. Since 2010, they have not lost four straight games. I think they've lost five of six. They're not as good. As well. <laughs> They're not a very good team. Their playoff hopes have drastically sunk. I thought they put up a really good effort today without their starting yeah. quarterback. I mean, again, the Zulak spread... looked good. The spread was, what, 16 and a half? Yeah. You, you, they covered the <laughs> spread. You know, they covered the spread, but... I mean, you're right. This was a game where, I mean, I, I came into this game, especially when you found out that Geno Smith 
was not playing. Would you say 31 to like 13 whenever 31 to 13 was yeah. my prediction. Uh, I thought there was absolutely no chance the Seahawks would win this game. Now, there's a reality in which they keep it close, and, and they kept it close and competitive for a yeah. bit, but if you're a Niner fan, you never really felt like you were in any danger. Even when it was 14 to 10. Right. It just felt like... When the that Seahawks was a, were up 10 to 7, and even then you're like, eh, well, they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll e- get it going. Even being down or even being ahead by four, it felt like there was... A, a gigantic chasm in between both teams of we know we can score at any second here. Seattle's going to have to fight for 99 or 75 yards inch by inch where San Francisco had like 12 plays for 20 plus yards. Yeah. I mean, okay, let me ask you this. So the Niners go down. They score on their first drive. Two plays. The 72-yard yeah. <laughs> McCaffrey run. That looked awesome. like he was going to get it in by himself on that first play. And then Jordan Mason spells him from three yards out and kind of vultures the touchdown away from Jordan Christian Mason McCaffrey. getting some reps. Yeah, shout out Jordan Mason. And then the Seahawks, they go right down the field yeah. on their first drive. Um, and what happened was on a, on a comeback to DK Metcalf, he ultimately breaks a tackle of Mooney Ward, and that's where Mooney Ward injured himself. Uh, and it was officially called a groin injury. He was listed as questionable to return. Again, stayed on the sideline, but never came back into the game. Uh, and then the next two passes after that, they target kind of the moving pieces in the Niners' secondary. When Mooney Ward goes out, it moves Diamador Lenore from the slot to the outside corner, kind of the number one corner spot opposite Ambry Thomas. He was and great today. He was really good today. We can talk more about that later because after this first drive, DK Metcalf did nothing. But it moves Giamado Lenore to the outside, um, and then it means Isaiah Oliver, who was previously your slot corner starter uh, to start the season but has since been benched, uh, he has to enter the fray once again. And the next passing play after Mooney Ward goes out, the Seahawks go right at Isaiah Oliver. They get a nice gain on a catch and run uh, to Tyler Lockett. And then the next play after that, they target DK Metcalf, who instead of Mooney Ward being on him, it's Ambry Thomas. And it's the touchdown, a beautiful back shoulder throw and a crazy catch by DK Metcalf. And suddenly it's a 7-7 ball game. Oh, DK Metcalf. And at that point... Big old baby. <laughs> He got into it at the end. He's a big old baby. He got into it at the end, but Poor I mean, that, loser. that was an incredible catch. And at that point, if you're a 49er fan, you're thinking, uh-oh, we're down our top corner. Right when he went out, we got beat downfield by two of their receivers. Don't have Eric Armstead already. Don't have Eric Armstead already. Uh, maybe This could be a shootout. Trap now, thing, things turned around just a little bit, but there was maybe a little bit of cause for concern early. The secondary, though, after that, really stepped up and played well. well I think you look at the box score again, and... You could feel it the minute San Francisco's offense got going that, okay, the defense just needs to hold, play, bend, don't break. They're great at that. They've been playing phenomenal since the bye week. Uh, But the offense, as soon as they got going, you just kind of sat back and said, yep, just give it time. We'll put up 30 again. Now, they missed it by two points. Come on. But it never felt like the offense was having trouble moving the football down the field. Even their biggest mistake, the interception off Ayuk's hands, Miscommunication, but you never felt like it was going to bite you. It, it, it never felt like that one pick or even two picks were going to come back and haunt you in this game because Seattle doesn't scare anybody. We talked about it on Thanksgiving night. I'm not scared of Seattle. San Francisco is no longer scared of Seattle. Pete Carroll, for as great of a coach as he has been and he currently still is, they just don't have enough. And when you look at Lenore, who is like, what, 5'9"? maybe yeah. locking down like a 6-4 DK Metcalf he was all great. game he was great. to a point where he wants to throw hands 
when they know the game's over with. Like, the the ability and, and just how impressive San Francisco is on offense and defense to just frustrate the opposing team is unlike anybody else. Philadelphia is a great team. They're all, well, they're a good team. The oh. Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys are having... Breaking news. Eagles right. not a great team. <laughs> the, the Cowboys are playing really good football currently. They face off tonight. We'll see who actually wins that game because San Francisco can have the number one seed when it's all said and done. But San Francisco, what, like, what they're able to do on both sides of the ball is just... You have to outlast them mentally and physically. And you know you cannot do that. No team can go up against this team and beat them mentally and physically. Yeah, no, they just come at you quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter, and if they don't get you in the first, they don't get you in the second, they're eventually going to wear you down. In the third or the fourth. They're yep. going to wear you down. It's just what they do. Um, and what was it that Ryan Clark and Marcus Spears said after Monday Night Football? First, gangster you, you called them gangster nerds, <laughs> but they said, what, uh, like, schematically, schematically intelligent but ignorantly violent. Right. <laughs> like, they're the Great. smartest football team in the country, in the world. Yeah. But they're also the most violent, the most physical, the toughest. And that's an incredibly difficult uh, team to go up against. And if you catch them on a day where maybe they're not at their cleanest, yeah. maybe they're not connecting on you know the, the easy slants, the screens that give them 17 yards on a good day, if those are falling incomplete or they're going for five yards instead of a first down and you know you get across midfield, if, if those aren't working, well, guess what? This is still the most physical team in the NFL, and they could beat you in kind of a grind-out affair. And this is an offense that, even when they're not at their best, and I would argue tonight or today not at their best, but they still put up 28 points. You're right. Brock Purdy throws for 368 yards in this Career game. Career high. Career high. Passing yards? Yeah. And the offense, in total, 527 net yards. <laughs> but I can sit here and honestly say, I don't think it was the best offensive game. It no. was... Maybe the most explosive game they've had in terms of the big plays, but everything in between, uh, the short game, a lot of what I think people use to credit the Niners offense, and when they're trying to discredit Brock Purdy, they say, well, it's just, you know, he throws it to the flat, and McCaffrey runs for 20 yards. Like well, that, and dunk. That wasn't really what happened today. No. It was the deep ball. It was the big plays. Obviously, they got some in the run game as well, but this wasn't the smoothest offensive game, and yet they still put up 28 points, a career high in passing yards for Brock Purdy, and 527 yards of total offense. Like, this team, at not even at their best, is still one of the best offenses in the NFL. They're 12 points better than you. They're, they, they are two scores better than you, even having a near-equal uh, uh, possession time, having the exact same amount of turnovers. Like This was a game Seattle had a chance in up until early fourth quarter, and San Francisco said, yeah, you thought, like put the game away, call it a night. It feels like even when San Francisco has their feet in the mud or they're tired, they, they played a, a tough game the week prior, you're just waiting with anticipation for them to explode. You're just waiting for Kittle to make a big play or Debo to make a, a massive play. He had a handful of massive plays today. Debo, what, this is his third straight game with a touchdown, his second consecutive game with two touchdowns in those games, and his second consecutive game with a touchdown run and touchdown catch. Yeah, like he for all the talk of uh, Chris McCaffrey being the offensive player of the year or the MVP, 
has Debo said hello? Don't forget, I am also really good. Well, yeah. So both of Debo's touchdowns today came in the first three quarters. Yeah. And all three of his touchdowns against Philadelphia came in the final three quarters last <laughs> week. So before the fourth quarter started, in his last six quarters of football, he had scored five touchdowns. The final three so quarters good. in Philly and the first <laughs> so three quarters good. today. Five touchdowns over a six-quarter span for Debo Samuel. When you wonder, could he carry that over into this game? It wasn't even a question. It was like, okay, like, yeah, what else will he do next? What's coming next for Debo? Oh, just two more touchdowns. <laughs> over 100 yards again. No big deal. No big deal. Run through almost every defender. He made Jamal Adams look like the sorry defender oh, that he actually is. We have is. to talk about that. Too, too worried about... Uh, reporters in New York, your previous team, will be like, wow, yikes, Jamal, out there calling out reporters in New York than actually covering Debo Samuel. Yeah, in case you missed it. Um, what a joke. Some, I forget his name, yeah. but uh, an NFL media personality, what, quote tweeted uh, a bad play by Jamal Adams? Was that what it was? A mistake? It was a poor coverage play where I think he gave up a touchdown. Yeah, so a, a bad play by Jamal yeah. Adams, and the reporter pointed it out, as oftentimes you see on Twitter. He just said, yikes. He just said, yikes. <laughs> and Jamal Adams screenshots, like, the guy's profile picture, which I imagine included his girlfriend or his <sighs> wife. So messed up. And said, yikes, back. <laughs> Incredibly messed up. Now, I don't know what it's like to have that kind of... Um, I don't know. Scrutiny, People you don't know. The scrutiny, the right, media scrutiny. Right. I don't know what that feels like, but Jamal, that's not cool. Um, But today, I mean, you're right. That that touchdown to Debo Samuel. You said when, I, when they go low, oh I go lower. God. Yes, you do, Jamal. <laughs> on the ground when you get burnt. You're right. That's what he did. But <laughs> third and 11. Third and 11, the 49ers have the ball at what? The, the 46-yard line. So they're approaching midfield. They're at their own 46-yard line. Third and 11. This is when the Niners are trailing. In the first half. Yeah. And the Seahawks have a chance to get off the field, get the ball back to their offense. Maybe they could build the two-score lead. You never know. Third and 11, Debo runs a deep post. Ayuk just running a go from the right side where Debo also started. He takes everyone on the right side of the field with him. Ayuk does. That leaves Jamal Adams as the lone deep defender on the left side of the field. And Debo is running right at him. And Jamal Adams, kind of inexplicably Sterling, is flat-footed as Debo Samuel is running right at him, and as Debo Samuel gets past him, Jamal Adams finally realizes that he's he's got to turn around and start going. He went, oh, and, hey, you're behind me now. And he no longer has the <laughs> speed to stay with Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel ran right past him, and it was a perfect ball by Brock Purdy over the top of Jamal Adams, perfectly in the breadbasket of Debo Samuel. He never had to break stride. 54-yard touchdown. Suddenly, the Niners back in front, 14-10, to with about 8 to go in the second quarter. That was one of the biggest plays of the game, because yeah. if they don't get that third and 11, Seattle gets the ball back. Who knows how it could change how this game went, uh, but Jamal Adams just totally not prepared to stick with Debo Samuel. Debo and Brock Purdy took advantage. Do you think he actually could stick with him even if he was prepared? Maybe not. Because I don't. Yeah. I, th I just think Jamal Adams has been a glorified edge rusher that plays safety. Let's make him a linebacker. Yeah, if he's your last line of defense, it's not the best strategy. He's not. He, he does not have the foot speed to, to keep up with these elite receivers. Well, and Seattle also lost Witherspoon early in this game, too, so they yeah. didn't have their number one cornerback who's had a great year for them. And there were some plays in this game where you're like, oh, all right, Brock, Like those are pretty close interceptions here. There was one earlier when they're – Almost the exact same situation as it was in Seattle, backed up against your own end zone or your, your own red zone, and they throw the ball three straight times, and you're like, hey, Kyle, you didn't learn. 
<laughs> what are we doing? But then, again, you score 28 points. It just feels like this team is so talented, they can almost overcome anything. Whether it's three injuries on defense, whether it's a poor start on offense, they're going to eventually score 28, 30 points. They're going to eventually win the game. And it just feels good. Like, can I just be honest? It, it just feels good to sit back and say, yeah, my team can stink for an entire half, and they'll still win by 12. Like, when have we ever been able to say that? Also, I mean, I don't know how you felt, um, and I, I kind of got this sense, one, it's a little bit how I felt about this game, and I got the sense from Niners fans in general, and maybe part of it is because last week was such a big game, the Eagles, and it's kind of yeah. like what you were talking about earlier, what Kyle Shanahan was worried about was kind of the emotional letdown. You had what felt like a regular season playoff game last yeah. year like it felt like that big of a deal how is the team going to respond I kind of got a little bit of that sense from the fan base I mean the the Thanksgiving night game in Seattle felt w- like a much bigger deal felt way more anticipated felt like a bigger challenge now maybe part of that is because it was a road game and it was on Thanksgiving night and you have uh, you know the national audience there watching it this kind of just felt like a ho-hum game that Niner fans obviously were excited about, and it's a chance to, to stay pays atop the NFC with, or not atop, but right behind the top of the NFC with the Eagles. This just kind of felt like the least, not important, but like the least amped up Seahawks game I can remember in a while. Well, I think it's because when you go to Seattle and you beat them, it kind of takes the monkey off your back. Like, oh, you know, we're all relieved now. And you, like, you know you have Philadelphia in your sights. In Philadelphia, you have to win that game. Coming back home, playing Philadelphia, like, I don't think you were worried. I wasn't worried. Sure, there were maybe thoughts of, you know, you never know, a trap game, big game against Philadelphia last week, you win, you have to come in, take care of business. But the minute Chris McCaffrey broke that 72-yard run, I was like, yeah, okay, we're good. Like, there is no going to be, or there's not going to be a lull period or, you know, come out sluggish, albeit, again, it wasn't their best game. The minute your star running back rushes for 72 yards on the first play of the game, <laughs> what are we supposed to think? Oh, man, like, this game's going to be so close. It's like, no, this game's over, and it's only 7 nothing now. I took two plays. And you're in the end zone. And it's like, bam, 7. And Seattle, with their backup quarterback, instantly on their heels. Now, granted, they answered, but this is score 7 points on two plays. Essentially telling Seattle, we're going to march 75 yards on you with ease, with a massive 72-yard run. That was almost indicative of how the game was going to go. Massive splash plays everywhere. Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, Purdy was awesome for the majority of this game. It just felt like that San Francisco, yeah, it wasn't going to be a Kyle Shanahan 13-play drive. It was going to be five plays, a 60-yard touchdown pass, and call it a night. It felt like that was the entire game. Yeah, it really was. Um, and, you know, so much of the talk last week, Sterling, about this game, uh, about the, the Eagles game, was, oh, the Eagles are coming off of a short week and, you know, the ni- or off a normal week. The Niners have the, the long week, kind of the mini-buy after the Thursday game on Thanksgiving. The Niners have the rest edge. That's going to be a big factor in this game. And ultimately it was because the Niners went into Philadelphia and absolutely dominated. The Seahawks had the rest edge into this game. They played on the Thanksgiving 
following or the, the Thursday following Thanksgiving when they yeah. were in Dallas taking on the Cowboys in a barn burner that they barely lost. That was a tough loss for the Seahawks. But they had the mini buy going into this game. The Niners were the team coming off of a game on the East Coast against the best team in the NFL, at least the best record well, in the NFL. Not anymore. <laughs> and your biggest emotional test, physical test of the season to this point. And I'll ask you this, Sterling, which team felt, looked, sounded, played, more rested? Well, you would think it would be San Francisco. And it's not even just that who looked more rested. It's Seattle got healthier, had Charbonnet back, had Walker back. Francisco didn't have Armstead. You're sitting back saying, okay, Seattle going to run the football. Now, I get it. Uh, Locke played over Geno Smith, mind you. But Locke looked fine through three quarters in this game. Yeah. like I was impressed, honestly. The one game-stealing pick, the ball got tipped by Chase Young. Whatever. It didn't feel like Locke played It was 4th and 13 anyway. Exactly. It doesn't even matter. It didn't feel like Locke was the reason they lost this game. But it did feel like San Francisco did what Philadelphia couldn't do. It's at home. Take care of business against a team that wants to upset you. And that's another factor in what separates San Francisco from a team that currently has a better record than them. Is back against the wall, at your own place, a team that wants to come in and punch you and smack you in the mouth, a team that's healthier than you minus quarterback. They had all of, I don't want to say favorite, because Seattle came in with the idea of, if we beat San Francisco, we're, we're in the thick of this thing still. They have the edge, essentially. Hey, they're on the road, I get that, but San Francisco, Levi's, is not Lumen Field crowd-wise. Great crowd out there. Love the faithful. They show How up. How dare you say that, <laughs> Sterling? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. They show up. It's not to say it's a bad place to play, (laughs) but it's not Lumen Field where the sound barrier isn't crazy and they're setting records. But what Seattle could do, come on the road, healthier on the ground and make a statement and they couldn't do it they had 10 days off and they got they beat by 12 philadelphia i mean come on every time you watch san francisco plays they do something else to separate them from the second place team or a team that might be ahead of them they're just so good 
Yeah. Yeah, so the 49ers with the win, they now improve to 10 and 3. The Seahawks fall to 6 and 7. It's not official, but the NFC West is uh, all but locked up for the San Francisco 49ers. And before the week is over, uh, the the football week, not the work week, but b- before the week is over, the 49ers could officially clinch a playoff spot. Uh they would have what? already if the Raiders could have scored any points against Jeez. the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings uh quarterback change mid-game by the way. Nick Mullins wow. came in. <laughs> And let them, let them do a field goal <laughs> to win the game. Uh, wow. So Minnesota beats Las Vegas three to nothing. Uh, no, that's not a baseball score. That is a football score. Both three to nothing. Stink. Vikings beat the Raiders. And the Niners lost to that Vikings team. Minus yeah. Kirk Cousins, but still. It's a different team. Also, <laughs> Justin Jefferson came back uh, and then left with a chest injury. Immediately got hurt again. And had to be taken to the hospital for oh, precautionary seriously? reasons. Yeah. Oh, my god. I think everything's all right. Okay. It, was, it was precautionary. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, but they won 3 nothing. Man. So the Niners' official playoff berth celebration will have to wait. Now we're still popping bottles back here. If the New York Giants beat Green Bay tomorrow night on Monday Night Football, the Niners will have officially clinched a playoff spot. But if it doesn't happen, which it probably won't, I would imagine Green Bay will yeah. beat the Giants. Uh, if it doesn't happen, it will happen next week. Does um, any of that... Do you take any of that into consideration? Like, oh, if the Giants beat Green Bay, it's like, no. No, I mean, just just win. It would be a nice little <laughs> bow on top to say, and the Niners officially go to the playoffs here in the 2024 postseason. See, but here's the thing is, like, in previous years, you would sit back and go, like, you want to clinch as fast as you can. Whereas this year, it feels like it doesn't matter when they clinch. It's going to be last game of the year at Levi's against the Rams. Whoever wins that game is the number one seed. It feels like you're not going to have a, a week off to rest your starters yeah. unless you have the one seed. The Niners, I mean, obviously, goal one is make the playoffs. Goal two is win the division. Goal three is win the first seed in the NFC. The Niners making the playoffs. It's like with it's this lock. team, with this roster, won 10 you, games. you knew it was going to happen, yeah. and it's going to happen. This doesn't even move the needle really for them at all. And and at this point, which is so they beat Seattle twice. You're getting to a point, <laughs> Sterling, where obviously the division is a major check mark, but you're getting to a point with this 49ers team and how talented they are. This almost seems sacrilegious to say, Uh-oh. where just winning the division is like, yeah, sure, whatever, like, okay, that's right. supposed to happen. We now. expected that. Yeah. Now go get the one seed. And if you're not going to get the one seed, you better beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia again. Are like we... That's where the expectations are with this team. Again, they didn't play their best game. Nowhere near it. And and they beat a division foe by 12 points. Are we being overzealous by saying that? Are, are we taking... Am a... I? I might no, be. I mean, like, are we taking sweeping Seattle for the second straight season as for granted? It feels like we're not used to these things, but now it feels like it happens so often where it's like, yeah, if we don't sweep the entire NFC West, if we aren't the number one seed, we're going to complain about it and go, why didn't this happen? Where it's like, we beat <laughs> Seattle twice this year, swept them for two consecutive years, beat them five times in a row. How about this? Uh, with the win today, the 49ers have now 11 consecutive regular season wins against NFC West opponents. Where they is- have not lost in the division. They've won 11 consecutive games against the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Rams. It feels weird saying where it's like, yeah. That's they, how dominant they this should is. do that. <laughs> like, the Rams are a fine team. They lost in overtime today with an insane ending to that game. Oh, my God. They should have won that game. return touchdown by the Ravens. Seattle is eh, fine. And, and the Cardinals stink. Like, it feels like San Francisco should run roughshod over but the entire division. That's not been the case for all of those 11 no, wins. Against, no. it's, it's what it is now. But they've but, won what? They have three or no, four this year already. They had eight last year. So it's been, yeah, the whole year. Right? Yeah. 
Let's be over over a whole year and a half span. They've won eleven games in a row. That's what the NFC West is turning into right now. It's Bunch just, of garbage. It's a race for second place. The NFC West sucks. <laughs> it's so it's, bad. The Rams honestly have been better than I expected, and they, they should have won today. It's a really good Ravens team on the road. But they didn't because yeah. they're frauds. They didn't. Just uh, like Seattle. <laughs> the frauds. Every time you call a Niners opponent fraudulent, what happens? What happens? you are like making the Niners victories over them worth less. No, 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 no. It's not saying they're worth less. It's saying that they're so bad, that's why we beat them by 20, 12 points, whatever it is. Mm, I it, see. Okay. They're frauds. Okay. Uh, we got to talk about Brock Purdy because okay, Brock fine. Purdy was was really, really good today. He finishes 19 for 27, 368 yards. As you said earlier here on Overtime on 95-7 the game, that's a career high. Two touchdowns and one interception. It was a little bit of a slow start for Brock Purdy. In fact, uh, he did not complete a pass on the first drive because they ran it twice and got into the end zone. Uh, and then I don't think he completed a pass on the second drive either. Uh, it was a, a three and out on the second drive as well for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Purdy's first completion uh, came with what? Let's see. Five minutes and 40 seconds left in the first quarter. So the Niners, in terms of passing the ball, basically punted on the first 10 minutes of this ball game. But Purdy still puts up a career high in passing yards. Again, he finishes with 368, two touchdowns, did throw one interception. There were a couple of other wayward passes. I think a couple of them were miscommunication with his receiver that kind of resulted in passes that were nearly intercepted. Um, but Brock Purdy just continues to pass every single test. And and for the people of Sterling that like to throw out, he's dink and dunk. He's got these elite yak receivers, yards Eric after Benji. catch, that, that turn a simple screen pass or a slant over the middle into a 40-yard touchdown. You just need to point them to today's game tape because he hmm. was just lasering balls deep down the field time and time and time again to Kittle, to Ayuk. What are the air yards, Mark? I have to know. What are the air yards? I don't know what they are in total, but if we just think about that Debo touchdown that made it, uh, what, 14-10 to 10 San Francisco uh, in the first it was half? Probably 25 through the air, right? Oh, it was more than that. About 30? Uh, it was, well, so what, it was the 54-yard touchdown, and let's see, where do, where do I... It felt like every throw... I lost it. ...was about 15 yards downfield. It didn't feel like there was any dink and dunk. There wasn't a system quarterback play. It felt like it was a home run every time he had the ball in his it, hands. It was. So the, the pass to Debo Samuel, which made it 14-10 49ers early in the second quarter, more about halfway through the second quarter, uh, the 49ers were at their own 46, but Purdy released the ball from the 37-yard line. Okay. From the 37, and it was caught by Debo Samuel at the 15-yard line. And this isn't even a straight line. It was kind of angled sideways. So if you are trying to, you know, have to do Pythagorean theorem and, you know, find the length of a triangle. I don't you do know. math, man. But if you're just talking about how many yards down the field it traveled, 48 yards down the field, perfectly on the money Not to Debo 49? Samuel. Almost. Come on. I could have lied. Almost Lying right on the I line. I want to be lied to. 49 <laughs> yards. Perfectly right down the field to Debo Daniel. He never broke stride. Again, that was the play where he ran past Jamal Adams. 48 yards on the money for Brock Purdy. Now, shout out to the offensive line on that play. They gave him all the time in the world that he could step into that throw and get every ounce of strength he needed behind it. But this idea that Brock Purdy is 
you know, only throwing for this many yards and, and this many touchdowns and his MVP candidate solely because his receivers and running backs and tight ends are yak kings, it's laughable, Sterling. It's laughable. And today, I think, was the number one like piece of film, game tape you could show to those people making that argument because he just, time and time again, perfect throws 20, 30, 40 yards down the field, uh, and, and he made this Seattle secondary look lost. I'm so tired of people that clearly do not watch Brock Purdy play, that do not watch the San Francisco 49er football games, because it's so clear. Eric Mangini, who used to coach here for a little bit, and all respect to him, been successful for a portion of his career under Bill Belichick. Nowhere else after that, mind you. But (laughs) it was so clear (laughs) that him saying, oh, he's a product of the system. Oh, oh," you know, some throws or, or the receivers have to dive and jump for all the throws that he makes. No. What are you watching? What is he watching? Every throw is perfectly on target. The only throw today that I sat back and said, wow, that wasn't great, wasn't even Brock Purdy's fault because Ayuk, miscommunication, leads to a pick. Yep. The TV analyst, Greg Olson, said, that's on Brandon Ayuk. Purdy's biggest mistake, which probably would have gave him 400 yards today, was the receiver's fault. It's so ridiculous, the fact that we sit back and... I'm not going to criticize another media member or someone or other company because they got to make their money. The views get it. But it's so abundantly clear. People are making their money off of hating on Brock Purdy, which if you just watch the game, you just can't do. Everything this kid does is stellar. Every or Most passes he makes are in the A tier of passes. Every game he wins, he has 10 of them now. He's been one of the main reasons they've won. And in the three losses they've had, minus the Vikings game probably, he's been one of the main reasons they're even in that game. The MVP conversation has transcended from, oh, Purdy's just a yak player, he's a dink and dunk, to let's discredit him every time he makes a play. When in fact, most of the plays this offense makes are because of Brock Purdy. Yeah, and I think one thing that also gets lost in this, people are trying to use the fact that 49ers weapons consistently get yak. They try to use that against Brock Purdy. Like, they try to use that as an insult. They say, oh, well, he just drops it off to Debo Samuel, who then turns up field and runs 40 yards for a touchdown. Like, you do understand how yak works and how a quarterback can impact that. Like, Brock Purdy's accuracy, whether it's 10 yards down the field or 30 yards down the field, his accuracy is what allows his weapons to run after the catch. And that was on display again today. He leads Debo Samuel on just a a simple 10-yard crossing route. There was one, I think it was on 3rd and 9. Maybe it was 3rd and 11. And Debo Samuel running an in from the left side at the sticks. And he throws it right as he comes out of the break. And perfectly in stride. He hits him. You know, just out in front of the numbers as Debo is running from left to right. And what does that allow Debo to do? He doesn't slow down as he makes the catch, and he's able to make a man miss and gain more yards. Like, this idea that the Niners' ability to have yards after the catch by Debo, by Kittle, by McCaffrey, by Ayuk, the idea that that is a slight on Brock Purdy is a joke. 
It's a joke. Would you think that fewer yak yards, meaning less accuracy from your quarterback, Brock Purdy, would be better? Like, the reason that these receivers are able to run after the catch so much is because Brock Purdy is accurate. If he wasn't accurate, you're not getting those yards after the catch. Why are we knocking down? Why are we discrediting a quarterback from doing his job well? If the offense asks him, hey, Brock, hit Debo for a crosser for 10 yards and let him do the rest, and he scores a 65-yard touchdown pass or whatever it is, how is that a knock on Brock Purdy? Oh, he's not doing enough. Last time I checked, the score still says 7-0. Last time I checked, it's still a touchdown. Last time I checked, it's still a win. Now, I understand a lot of the argument for that is, well, look at Jimmy Garoppolo. Forget Jimmy. You watch Brock Purdy play. Their play styles are different. There's no happy feet. It feels like there isn't a worry of every time Jimmy G dropped back, where's the ball going to go? And I like Jimmy. He was a very successful quarterback here. But with Brock, it's like, I, I would trust Brock Purdy with my life, with my offense, with my franchise, with my future daughter. He can have whatever he wants. <laughs> Bring her back by 8. Brock will have her back by 7.30. He's trustworthy with the football. The turnovers he makes today was not his fault. It feels like, whether it's Shanahan or the offense itself, how are we knocking Brock Purdy for playing and having amazing stats, having 10-plus wins? When we look around the league, the Chiefs just lost because Mahomes can't get it done. The Chiefs... uh, They're not a good team. Their lead in the AFC West is one game over the Broncos now, by the way. Let Russ cook for all I care. (laughs) Not my problem anymore because Geno's not getting it done. Drew Locke's not getting it done. You know who should cook? Oh, Brock Purdy. Oh, wait. He does every single game, Mark. He cooks every defense. Had almost 370 yards today. Whether it's Philadelphia, Seattle twice. It doesn't matter. I have no fear. No matter the defense, Brock Purdy is going to have... 300-plus yards, two touchdowns, and walk away out there flexing his guns for after a win. He's that good. I trust him with my entire life. Brock Purdy, lead me to the Super Bowl. No, you no. are my guy. You're my quarterback for as long as you want to be. That's my quarterback. No, I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick of the Brock Purdy conversation because it's just... it One, one the way you're trying to discredit him by saying that all he does is throw short to his yak kings, first of all, that's factually incorrect. That's just wrong. It's not what he does. When did it go from yak bros to yak kings? That is made I, it up. I, okay, okay. You kind of like it, though, right? I mean, I might love it, actually. <laughs> yak kings. I mean, that's what they are. <laughs> Tis I the mean, season, mind you. There's no one better in the league than those guys at doing that. But saying that's all Brock Purdy does is factually incorrect and in fact he's the most accurate deep ball quarterback in the nfl how about this completion percentage on throws 20 plus yards downfield guess who's number one tell me brock purdy 63.2 percent next best cj stroud 58 percent he was bad today jared goff he was jared goff 54 percent he lost today scott 53 hopefully he wins today (laughs) to a tag of iloa 53 percent Brock Purdy is lapping the rest of the field in deep ball deep ball completion percentage. So first of all, you saying that all he does is throw short and allow his weapons to run with the ball? That's a factually incorrect statement. And second of all, even if it were factually correct, guess what? Brock Purdy's accuracy is the reason they're able to run with the ball after the catch. I don't think I need to say anything else. 
You're factual. You're lying. You're just lying. You're wrong. You're, but even if you were right, that does not help you make your case. You're every, liar. Every single thing that that we see, the stats, the eye test, what we're seeing from Brock Purdy, everything is pointing to one outcome. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Everything. Is he one I'm, of? I'm over it. Is he one of? Or is he the best this year? You can make the... I mean, he's he's no, going to no, win no. the MVP. You can do that. Brock Purdy might be the best quarterback in the entire NFL this year right now. Over Mahomes. No one's had a better season no. than him. Mahomes, I get it's not just his fault. Tony was offsides, whatever. He's throwing his helmet out there. Tua's been good. You ask anybody, who do you want to be your quarterback? And I get those players have different traits and skill sets, mind you. Brock Purdy... What he's been able to do, you can put him in 31 other offenses. I guarantee you the stats might look different. He still is efficient, and they still win games. You put Brock Purdy in Carolina, 4-5 win team. It's just honest. Like, you put Brock Purdy in New Orleans, probably an 8-9 win team. Put Brock Purdy in Kansas City. Again, not Mahomes' fault. The offense is different there. They're probably exactly where they are now. What Brock Purdy is doing is and has been playing as, is the best quarterback in the entire league. It's probably Dak, Jalen Hurts, Tua, and Brock Purdy. And I don't think Brock Purdy's the last name in the in the standings there. I think he's at, he's at the top. He's beating everybody. Everybody. When you look around and say, wow, I'd rather have that quarterback, you know what they're talking about? It's Brock Purdy. It's really that simple. You can't discredit him by saying, Oh, the offense he's playing in, it's, that's really what drives him. It's Kyle Shanahan and Chris McCaffrey. They play their part. So does Brock Purdy, and his part is being the best quarterback in the entire league right now. Does the Niners' system, does the weapons, does Kyle Shanahan, does that help Brock Purdy? Obviously. No one is arguing against that. What quarterback in NFL history has ever done it alone? No one. None. We're seeing right now what that looks like in Kansas City. And by the way, Mahomes is not alone. He has maybe the best tight end in NFL history in Travis Kelsey. But guess what? They only have a game lead over Russell Wilson and the Broncos. (laughs) who started 1-5. and Like, you cannot do it alone. I don't care how good you are. Football is the ultimate team game. You need help everywhere. Everywhere, the best quarterbacks in NFL history, guess what? They're inextricably bound to the best offensive weapons in NFL history. Joe Montana, along with Jerry Rice. Like, you don't... I don't know who that is. (laughs) Who's that? I mean, Tom Brady with Randy Moss for a time. (laughs) Rob Gronkowski, who maybe is the guy that Travis Kelsey is chasing for greatest tight end of all time. Certainly up there. If you are a great quarterback and are considered one of the best... You are bound to have great talent around you. It is not just uh, what happens. It has to happen for you to be one of the best quarterbacks. You are not going to do it alone. And so the idea that Brock Purdy is only good because of the weapons that he has, would he look different if he didn't? Certainly. Yes, of course he would. But to act like anybody can do what Brock Purdy is doing is foolish. It is just straight foolish, and we need to come to grips with the fact that everybody was wrong about Brock Purdy. He was drafted as Mr. Irrelevant, what, 18 months ago. We were all wrong. That's okay. I'm never wrong, Mark. We we missed it. That's fine. We were wrong. Let's move on. And to give him more credit, while Seattle not playing their best football, Seattle not being the best team, coming into today, 
they ranked as the 12th best pass defense on the road. He wasn't beating a team that plays poorly on the road. He wasn't beating a pass defense that's banged up, mind you. He wasn't beating a pass defense that really hasn't been successful in other teams' homes. Seattle came in with 10 days to prep for this game. They should have, by all intents and purposes, played well. And Brock Purdy said, I'll score three touchdowns and put up 370 against you. (laughs) A career high. Brock Purdy statistically had his best passing yard game ever through his short, what, 19-game career now, whatever it is. Brock Purdy is getting better at the right time. The Bird Gauntlet, we're three games into it. He's 3-0. There's no reason how we don't sit back and just sometimes, I'll be honest here, I'm just in awe of Brock Purdy. In my notes, I just go, oh my God, Brock. (laughs) Did you see that? Like, in all caps, it's OMG, Brock Purdy. How did he do that? (laughs) How do you evade that pressure? How do you make that throw? How do you get that touchdown? There's a play today where it didn't even count for a touchdown, but he runs all the way to his right, looks across his body, off one foot, finds Debo Samuel for a near touchdown. And you're like, this guy is making... Like, Brock Purdy is a playmaker. He isn't giving it to playmakers, although he is. He himself is also... A playmaker. Not other, not many other quarterbacks can say that. The Aiden O'Connells, the Josh Dobbs, the Jimmy G's, the Derek Carrs, guys who are getting paid incrementally more money than him are not playmakers. Brock Purdy's making what? The least amount of money for a starting quarterback probably to ever win 10 games in a season. And he's likely going to win the NFC West. He's likely going to be in the NFC Championship game barring injury. And, dare I say, likely going to be playing in the Super Bowl if nothing catastrophic happens. It, a long way to go. If yes. they win the Super Bowl <laughs> on the contract he's on, he will likely be the cheapest quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl and likely the cheapest quarterback to ever win the MVP. Think of that. Literally the biggest bargain deal in the entire sports world. When you see Shohei Otani getting $700 million... And a championship isn't even guaranteed. Brock Purdy is the biggest bargain in the entire sports world currently, and he's leading the best team in the entire country. I saw I saw something. I know Shohei Otani's contract isn't evenly split to, for $70 million a year. Like right, He's right. got a lot of deferred money. But if we were just to pretend over the course of the 10 years or whatever where he's being paid the $700 million, uh, over two games he <laughs> makes about what Brock Purdy will make this entire year. Like that... Brock Purdy, you said it, is the biggest bargain in sports, to not just today, but ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. That's what he's playing like right now. And I'm glad you brought up that drive uh, on, on the, the throw to Debo where he went across his body. We talk a lot about Purdy checkdowns versus throwing it deep down the field. I think throwing it deep down the field was on display all day today. Where he's also underrated is his athleticism and his ability to improvise on the run, on the move. And that drive, it was the second Niners drive of the second half. They got into the end zone, built a two-score lead in the final few minutes of the of the third quarter. It started with a pretty scramble drill. He flushed left, stepped up just before he crosses the line of scrimmage, lays out a perfect deep ball down the left sideline to Brandon Ayuk for 45 yards. Then a nice uh, Christian McCaffrey run led by Trent Williams, an epic block on the edge. Uh, and then what happens when they get down near the red zone? Brock Purdy, a blind play action boot. And guess who's blitzing off the edge? Jamal Fraudmas. <laughs> Was that close? Eh, I mean, Jamal Adams. Yeah. Close enough. Jamal 
I was going to say Fratums. That wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. But a blind play-action boot, which is a really dangerous play for a quarterback. If you have a you blitzing, lit up. blitzing linebacker, blitzing corner, blitzing safety coming off of the edge that you are rolling into, that you have the boot action into, it's called the blind PA boot for a reason because you have your back to that side of the field, and as you fake the handoff, you just got to pray there's no one coming along that edge. Guess what was happening? Jamal Adams was coming along that edge, and Brock Purdy has the wherewithal to quickly turn his head around, see Jamal Adams bearing down on him, and he gives him a little juke step, buys him a half a second, and completes a pass. Like, there are very few quarterbacks in the NFL that have the ability to not only get a throw-off, but evade a major hit. And he did that, Brock Purdy did, and he completed it to Charlie Warner. Uh, you, you get three yards, but like you avoided a sack, potentially a fumble. You avoided a big hit. You stayed alive. You gained positive yards. That's a win. Then third and five, guess what? Another scramble drill and a broken play. Purdy rolls right. This is the play you're talking about. He rolls right, throws across his body, back to the left or the middle of the field. Debo catches it, makes a man miss, gets all the way down to the one. The next play, kind of a, a Debo jet sweep, and he scores a touchdown. But we, we focus so much on the air yards versus check down debate about Brock Purdy, Sterling. And this drive, I think, also shows a different area of Brock Purdy's game where he is so much more athletic than you think. And he's able to evade tacklers. He's able to extend plays. He's able to even use his legs and run and pick up yards, which he didn't do on this drive, but he did at other times and has throughout the season. Brock Purdy, we saw a complete game from him, and this is a rare game where he threw it, threw an interception and had a couple of other balls that could have been picked off. Now, they weren't always his fault, but just the reality, there were a couple of other balls that could have been picked off, but I was so impressed because he showed so many different things that he can do, which is rare for a quarterback of his age. He, he's, he's a complete or quarterback. his stature. Yes. There are so many people, including myself, mind you, sometimes you get caught up in, well, can he actually see over the offensive line? It's a conversation, whether valid or not, that many quarterback coaches, many head coaches, many scouts have. How many times did we see Drew Brees doing this his entire career with New Orleans? Trying to see over the offensive line, jumping with his eyes up like, guys, I can't see anybody. I'm trying to find a receiver. And it works. Sometimes you just need... A quarterback that, yes, can get it done, be the system guy. And sometimes you have a quarterback like Brock Purdy that cannot just be a system guy, but also make plays. Yes, find your receivers open for five yards and let them do the work, but also evade pressure while not being the biggest guy, the fastest guy. He's a pretty quick guy, mind you, but he isn't the biggest, strongest, yet he's still making these plays. It's almost like you have taken Wes Welker and said, be a quarterback. Like he's that kind of player where you're like, how does someone this small making a 255 linebacker miss? How is someone this tiny making a 75-yard touchdown pass? It's just because these guys are ballers. They're gamers. They're playmakers. Yeah, they really are. I thought it was a fantastic Brock Purdy game uh, in an otherwise kind of stop-and-go herky-jerky game for the 49ers. They ultimately knock off the Seattle Seahawks 28-16. to The Niners have now won five consecutive games and are 10-3 and on the season. All right, time for a break here on Overtime. we got a couple of callers on hold. Dre 
And uh, Mitchell, I see you. We'll get to you on the other side. If you want to join the show, 888-957-9570. That's also the Comcast Business text line. And I'm keeping an eye on the Twitch and YouTube chats. YouTube, I see you, Pierce. Uh, Queens of Noise, uh, Bucko Sports, a couple of others. I see you. Keep them coming on YouTube. It's Grandy and Sterling with you on Overtime as we continue coming up next right here on 95.7 The Game. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 